Welcome back. Episode number one of season five of the Tony G Show for the first time since March. I'm Tony G, the host of the Tony G Show. My partner, Will McCormick. Will, say hello to the people. How's it going, people? It's good to be back. It is so good to be back, Will. Yeah. And let me say this. It has been such a wild ride this year. It has been honestly up and down, fluid, so much of not knowing what's going to happen, so much not knowing what the future will bring. Mm -hmm. And to find ourselves back here, it's been such a long road to get back to recording the Tony G Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I think we're on Amazon Music. Ooh, nice. The podcast platform for Amazon, I think we are also on now. So just expanding our base here. But the meetings that you and I had to go through, Will, the obstacles we had to jump through, Mm -hmm. the equipment that we had to buy. Yep. And it's so good to be back. So here's a couple things that, that are different before we jump into the show. A couple things that are different here. Usually we are on SNC Radio live. Okay, every season that you have heard the Tony G Show, it has been live on SNC Radio until this episode. Because we can't get into the studio because of the coronavirus, of course. So no one is allowed in the studio at all, you know, because there's a microphones. Everyone uses the same equipment. And mm-hmm. it's a small studio, too. So where we are now is we are in... My room of the housing situation that I live in on campus, okay? And just a huge thank you to my roommate, John, for giving us the room for an hour a Mm -hmm. day, Tuesdays, Thursdays. Very nice. To set up. I mean, Will is... I'm at his desk. He's at his desk, evading his space, using his bed pretty much. Might as well lie in the bed too. You want to record from from his bed? I could. Yeah, I could lay down. Take a little snoozer. But yeah, just really quick before we get into more yeah. um, about you know the show and, and we actually break down the show and get into it, um, I, I don't even know if we were able to say goodbye or, or what before that's true. You know, I we remember had to, that. we had yep. to leave. And so for anyone that's still listening, thank you for sticking with us and you know yeah. believing in us to keep, to get this show back out again because it's been, uh, it's been a, a long road, a long, long road. Thank you for bringing that up, Will. It's a good point because... The last time we recorded the Tony G Show, we interviewed SNC basketball player Michael Pant on the show. That's right. And I remember signing off saying, in front of him, because you know he's not usually part of the show, he's just a one-time guest. I remember saying, I don't know when we're going to be on next. I don't know what the future will bring. The coronavirus had, at that point, think about at that point, we had just been, we were going to go home for spring break Mm -hmm. for SNC, for St. Norbert College, and then I think it was like a week or two after, then we were going to come back in April. We never came back. The world completely shifted to masks, to a whole new way of life, and this is the first episode of the Tony G Show here in the beginning of October, since did, March. Do we know about the coronavirus at that episode? I, I, I think it was a thing because... Like, we must have had some sort of knowledge. I believe that might have been one of the days that we heard we were going home, or maybe it was like the day after. Yeah. And I think that was the same day, if I'm not mistaken, that... March Madness was canceled. Oh, yeah. And then it just snowballed from there. Yeah. You know, golf tournaments, NBA. I remember going home that night and watching NBA on TV. One game had ended, and then there was supposed to be another game starting at like 9, 9.30. And that game was just called off. It was like the world completely hit a stop sign. Mm-hmm. The world just came to a crashing halt, and it was a weird time to be alive. But nonetheless, we have fought through it. A couple more things before we get started. I have counted. This is episode number 73 of the Tony G Show. Wow. 
This is your 53rd episode on the show, which means that we are about 27 episodes away from episode number 100. And I'm thinking that if we can pound out 15 episodes this semester, at least, at maybe minimum. I mean, we go two times a week here, and we got seven more weeks mm-hmm. of the semester, and we could even, if we wanted to, branch into winter break. Yeah, I mean, Not we could a- theoretically keep going, doing this throughout, you know, when we go home. Because, yeah. I mean, with the power of Zoom calls or phone calls, we could listen to each other. Face we're recording, um, I guess, you know, we're recording on our own devices, and so we're able to get decent audio. I mean, the whole world is remote now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it really has opened our horizons for maybe even recording shows into winter break when you are at, when you and I are in completely different states. Mm-hmm. But that's a bridge we'll cross when we get to it. Yeah, I'm predicting that by next semester, we are going to have 100 episodes of the Tony G Show. And that opens up the door for 125, maybe even, maybe I'm getting a little generous here, maybe even 150 episodes of the Tony G Show before we graduate. Wouldn't that be, be awesome? I look forward to that. Again, this is episode number 73. But most importantly, episode number one of season five of the Tony G Show. couple more things, just a few more. I mean, it's been a while since Tony G Nation and I have talked, so just a couple more things before we get into it I have to break down. The Tony G Show is available on Apple Podcasts. Look up the Tony G Show. We have a new cover art for the Tony G Show if you're listening for the first time. It's the same picture, but now I'm wearing a mask. Doing my job. Doing my job (laughs) to remain, what is it, socially distanced. Mm-hmm. and socially responsible so the tony g show is available on apple podcasts um the tony g show also is affiliated with snc radio you can check out snc radio at sncradio.com or download the radio fx app and search up snc radio also i gotta give a quick shout out to my friends here the bird talk podcast a couple of my friends go to uw madison a couple of sports guys Getting together, getting some sports takes. Follow them on Twitter at Bird Talk Pod. Check, yeah, good banter. I mean, they're good guys. Check out Bird Talk Podcast on Spotify. With that being said, one last thing before we get into it: follow me on Twitter at Tony G for days to stay connected with me, and follow Will at Willis five three one two. Stay connected with him and and the show in general. What do you say, Will? We get into our first argument since March. I mean. Do you want to talk some sports? No, I don't think we should at all. Yeah, I, th- I think that'll be it. I think, yeah, I think we'll sign off there. What What are we at, 14 minutes here? Not even? <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right, our first segment here, I, I didn't get into necessarily... A hot take argument. I mean, it's our first segment since March. Mm -hmm. And we are four weeks into the NFL season. I just kind of wanted to give a breakdown of where I'm at, what I have observed of the league in general. Okay, this first segment, I'm not going to get into one particular team too much. Segment number one. I'm just going to go through the top and bottom five teams that I see in the league. It's a little bit of a ranking here. And the top five... The top five that I go with, I'm going to list about eight or nine teams because that's the way I see it. We're four weeks in. I think that the first two teams are clear-cut top five teams. Okay, I think the Seattle Seahawks are the best team in the league by far. I think Russell Wilson's primed for an MVP year here. I mean, you just watch him play. It really looks like he is able to – he he is the epitome of 
making the best out of his current situation. I mean, look at who he's had to deal with for running backs over the years after Marshawn Lynch left and kind of came back. I mean, he's dealing with Rashad Penny and Chris Carson and some some B-grade to C-grade running backs. Mm-hmm. Same for the wide receivers. Tyler Lockett's been his his security blanket for the last couple of years, but after that, before the drafting of DK Metcalf, I mean, it's just kind of been fluctuating up in the air. He hasn't had the most solid talent over the years, and I mean, this is just another year he has to face through a couple adversities. He has the best talent, I think, now than some of the most recent years that he has had. So he's primed for an MVP year. I think the Seattle Seahawks take the number one team on this list. The number two team, I think, clear-cut, second-place team, I could even field arguments for them being number one, is the Kansas City Chiefs. All right? Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly, talented, fast, some of the best coaching in the league. I mean, Andy Reid is so innovative at his age and his experience in the NFL. He is adjusted like he is some type of modern Sean McVay-esque coach that has really designed his own game plan and utilizes his talent perfectly. There's not many coaches left like Andy Reid who continue to evolve their their playbook yeah. quite like he does. Um, Over the years, yeah. Right, but Andy Reid is has yet to have his offense look bad. Mm-hmm. So and, yeah, and I agree. agree. They're they're totally loaded with weapons. It's hard to look bad when you have that much talent. Right. Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, of course Patrick Mahomes. The talent is just endless for that team, that organization, especially on offense. So I think they're the clear cut number two team in the league. And then from there, I think there's a flurry of a couple teams. I mean again, these these top five teams aren't isn't a very strict top five ranking. We're gonna get into more of a strict um, organized hierarchy of the bottom five. That's going to be a bigger argument than the top five because I think there's so many teams that are just good football teams right now, and it's a little too early to tell, I think, who if, if there's a clear-cut top five. So I'm going to list uh, just a couple teams. I think, of course, the Green Bay Packers, 4-0. and all. I mean, it really looks like Aaron Rodgers has kind of been rejuvenated, and uh, uh, Matt LaFleur has really put that offense in a great spot and a great position, and I, I like them this year. To build off, you know, LaFleur and his offense, courtesy of Jason Wallers of on Twitter, Jason tweeted out that Green Bay is the first team in the NFL history to score 150-plus points with no turnovers in the first four games of the season. And then another bullet point, the Packers have scored 152 points this season, the most in team history throughout four games since Green Bay joined the NFL in 1921. I mean, so yeah, pretty- they're really showing that they're a strong football team, a competitive football team. I definitely see faults within them, mm-hmm. especially their defense. Right. But, yeah, I'd still put them up there as one of the top teams in the league. And, again, after the top two teams that I listed, the Seahawks and Chiefs, this isn't in any particular order. I'd feel arguments for any order after this. I also really like Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, so that's why I kind of put them up there. And just to say my due diligence, I like Josh Allen before the season ever started. Okay, I drafted him in two of my football fantasy football leagues because I – Felt he was primed to go off this year, which he has so far. Yeah. With tools like Stefan Diggs around him now. I really like Josh Allen and I like the Buffalo Bills. I think they're a top five team in the league. Also, that I'd put in there, Tennessee. I really like the Titans this year. They didn't play week four so far because, you know, coronavirus snuffed out their game with the Steelers, but I'd put them up there. I like them and Derrick Henry and what they do. I, I think it can get a little one dimensional at times. It's. There's drives that can be a handoff to Henry, handoff to Henry, handoff to Henry that gains five yards total. And I, everyone knows, everyone game plans for Derrick Henry, and I just think it gets a little one-dimensional at times. So, you know, I, 
I still like them, but that's why I wouldn't put them clearly in one position over the other. Another team I'm putting up there, the 2-2 San Francisco 49ers. I get it. I get it. They're 2-2, but they've had injuries to some of the biggest skill positions. I mean, they're pass rushers. Bosa's out. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, their quarterback's out. Raheem Mostert has missed some time. He's, I mean, he's going to be out for a little bit longer, I think. Mm -hmm. They have had some key injuries that have really snuffed the flame up from their season. I'd still put them up there as a top team. You give them all that talent, they're undefeated right now. And you could make the argument that, well, just because they're injured doesn't mean that they're a top team in the league now. What about their backups? Mm -hmm. Listen, San Francisco coached clean, played clean. They play good football, even without some of the key aspects of their team. And to me, it's just a matter of they've been injured. If they had all their players, if they have all their talent, that's a top team in the league. Clearly, clearly undefeated in my mind. Anyways, moving down the list here. I think I'd put Baltimore in the honorable mentions category. I'd put them top 10 team in the league. I'm not going to put them top five. Baltimore only three and one. And the one loss came to the Chiefs where they did not show up. So, I mean, yeah, they're battle tested now. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they played a top team in the league and got completely steamrolled in my right. opinion. So, I, I, they, I'm they a little have... hesitant to put them up there, even though they're three and one with the talent they have. I'm a big Lamar fan. I don't dislike Lamar. Right. Um. But they have yet to show me that, like they're three and one. That's a good record. But I don't. I'm not totally convinced on their, on their three and one record. Like right. that Chiefs game really made me think. Wow, they're not that dominant. Well, if you're not convinced on their three and one record, how about the three and zero record of Pittsburgh? I'd put them in the conversation, floating around nine, ten, eleven, twelve in the league. But their track record is just horrible. Again, they didn't play Week Four. Titans, coronavirus. I mean, this is this is their 3-0 and record so far. They beat the Giants only by 10, beat the Broncos only by 5, and beat the Texans only by 7. So 3-0 and is 3-0. and I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. But the reason that I don't put them clearly in one position over the other is because of their 3-0 and record. However, I do like what Ben Roethlisberger is doing with his young wide receivers. I think he's really find, finding his stride with that young talent that he has to deal with, and especially coming back. He's making a strong case for comeback player of the year through the first three, four weeks, even though he's only played three games because of the coronavirus. So, Yeah, I wanted to ask, Ben Roethlisberger's been a consistent quarterback. He's had some injuries, yeah. um, I think some knee problems. Yeah, um, dealt with it all pretty much. Yeah, I mean, do you see him performing, keeping this performance you know, pretty good for the rest of the season? Do you see it kind of tapering off? I mean, obviously... The Giants by 10 isn't like anything to be proud of. It's a good win, but that's right. like, it should be by 30. Same with the Broncos. Do you see Roethlisberger continuing to have this his season go well for him? They face the Eagles coming up. I don't know if I see them winning that game. Eagles just beat San Francisco on the road. But like I said, the Steelers' track record is not the most impressive. Then they have the Browns, Titans, Ravens. I think their schedule kind of helps them. I think they're in a tough division, of course, with... I mean, Baltimore being a clear-cut top team in the league in the division. But I, there's there's some games that I look at that worry me, and there's some games that I think that they could really benefit off of. And, you know, we talk about Aaron Rodgers being rejuvenated. Big Ben Roethlisberger, after playing, what, a couple snaps last year, coming back, looking like he hasn't missed a beat. He has young talent around him. And, again, under Mike Tomlin, those two are future Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think they're going to do just fine moving forward. Well, Will, do you want to get to the bottom five teams in the league here? Yeah, I'm pretty excited to talk about these. I, I have some pretty interesting teams. I didn't just take it by record, of course. You know, Tony G, he, he does mm-hmm. his homework. The list that I'm going in, bottom five teams in the league, is going to be five to one. 
Okay, so that's the order I'm going in. The first team I list is the best of the worst, in a sense. The last team I list is the bottom of the league. So just to clear up what order I'm going in. The fifth worst team, or the best of the worst, if you will, I'm going to put the Minnesota Vikings at 1-3. and three. Here's why. Kirk Cousins has not shown up this year to me. Six touchdowns as well as six interceptions. And that interception total, by the way, is second in the NFL. Carson Wentz leads the way with seven. And Kirk Cousins, it's not just that this touchdown-to-interception ratio is one. Six touchdowns, six interceptions. It is the fact that he also runs approximately 24 to 25 to 26 in the league in most of the quarterback categories. All right, And this is out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks as well. He runs about the lower tier of the pack mm-hmm. in terms of yardage, in terms of completion percentage, in quarterback rating, passer rating. He just yeah. runs bottom half of the league. Which is not, that's not what you need in a quarterback. No, not at all. If you want to win games, no, I don't see that happening. It's not happening. I see them moving on from Kirk Cousins in the future here, in the near future as well. Anyways, it's not just Kirk Cousins' fault, though. Here's the argument that I'm making. It's a full team debacle that they got going in Minnesota. The defense is also in the bottom half of the league. Quarterback pressures, quarterback pressures percentage per dropback, and quarterback knockdowns with seven sacks as a team. It's a middle to low grade defense that Minnesota's running, mm-hmm. and and they have young corners too, which does not like right. if, if they have no pass rush, it's going to be that's a great. It's going to be a really rough day for those corners. That's a great point, Will. They're not going to be competitive with this inexperience. They're not going to be competitive with low grade quarterback play. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be competitive with low grade defensive play as well as a team. I think Kirk is a decent quarterback. I could see him bouncing back. I um, think they draft one this year. Do you think they draft one? I think they draft a quarterback this year. They haven't been competitive. The last loss that they had, the Titans, 31. They lost by one point, 31 to 30. And then they just beat the 0-4 now Houston Texans on Sunday. So they haven't been the most competitive team. It's clear to me that they aren't a good football team. Yeah. But they're not the worst. They're the no. best of the worst, Will. No, I, I think the victory over the Texans, who are now 0-4, that's a must-win for them. If the, if the Vikings lost that game, it would have been, I think we'd be talking way different. We could be talking coaching changes, major position changes, but I think right now they're going through some changes, and hopefully that's a, a positive turning point for them in the season. And moving so. on down the list here that I have made, the bottom five teams in the league, number four, the Dallas Cowboys at 1-3. and three. And the only reason that they are fourth on this list and not lower is because of Dak Prescott, who has played out of his mind so far. Nine touchdowns, three interceptions, 1,690 yards, 1,700 yards uh, passing through the air. And so far, a career-high 68% completion percentage. Look at this interesting stat I pulled up here, Will. I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, I did my homework. You do. You got a lot of stuff down here. He also has 83 first downs passing through the air. The next closest quarterback is Joe Burrow with 68. What this tells me is that the Cowboys are relying on Dak Prescott a little too much. Mm-hmm. They're using him almost as if he is their security blanket, almost as if he is their entire offense. Dak Prescott is getting used at a rate where he is beginning to put the team on his back. I mean, he has to Literally. do... I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't feel like he has to do everything himself. They're getting first downs through the air. They're getting all their yardage through the air. And, of course, the interception totals are going to be there because every play is a, a passing play, right. even though they have Zeke Elliott. So it shows me that the, that they're relying on him too much. It seems like the Cowboys are resorting back to that contested catch offense. Yeah. There's, there's just a lot of contested catches. That's it's like it it's just not – it just seems like that offense is just really relying on the receivers to go up and make a play. 
or to get a call, basically. Well, the, you, you bring up the contested catches, and I think that's because they're one-dimensional. I talk about the one-dimensional offense of the Titans running the ball. It's the exact opposite with the Cowboys. You know they're passing the ball. You know Dak Prescott's playing out of his mind. Like I said, 1,700 yards through the air. Next Ridiculous. closest quarterback is Josh Allen with around 1,300. He has almost 400 more passing yards than the next closest quarterback. It's a one-dimensional team they have there, but it's not Dak Prescott's fault, okay? I think, overall, the defense is to blame here. They're 32nd in the NFL, dead last in the NFL, giving up the most yardage at over 1,700 yards this game, this, this season. We talk about Dak Prescott leading the league in 1,700 yards passing. The defense has given up 1,700 yards total, which is worst in the NFL. Also, tied for the most passing touchdowns given up this year with 12. Also, the Browns have 12. You know, you're right. It brings up that sort of similar characteristic style that the Green Bay Packer teams brought with Mike McCarthy back when he was wearing green and yellow on the sideline here. It's lethargic play. It's not very clean. They're 12th in the NFL in team penalties. I think Mike McCarthy has a reputation or is growing a reputation for not being able to use his running backs well. I tweeted this out. Just last night, actually, before we recorded this, that Mike McCarthy not knowing how to use Aaron Jones in his time here is a crime. Because Aaron Jones is being utilized perfectly. Yep. He is getting a perfect workload. He's spending time with Jamal Williams. Yeah. I mean, and it's a two-headed monster, but yet Aaron Jones is still scoring at a rate that he was last year when he led the league almost. I would argue that Jamal Williams is being utilized at a better right now to use Jamal a lot right but I just feel like Jamal's being used in situations that's just like yeah that makes sense for him to be in there right now and really quick too just to bring up some Zeke stats yeah go ahead uh so because he's not being used either no so this is so this is interesting so to start the season against the Rams they had the 20 to 17 loss um he had 96 yards on 22 carries that's a decent like you that's that's good yeah. you want you 22 want, carries is a good workload yeah that's that's a lot um, then following that game against Atlanta, they had a W, um, 40 to 39, one point victory. He had 89 yards on 22 carries again. And then after that game against the Seahawks, they lost 38 to, th- to 31, 34 yards on 14 carries. That's a rough day. That's rough. Um, and then just his previous loss to the Browns, he had 54 yards on 12 carries. Um, still pretty average. And I don't know if that attributes to, you know, 10 less carries is a lot. You know, 22 well, this is the guy compared- that led the league in carries last year. Right. So going from 22 carries in the first two games to 12 in the most recent game, that's it's hard to even be a factor in the offense. And to right. have 54 yards is... I do have a bit of good news here. I don't do this for every team, but I do have some good news here on the bright side for the Dallas Cowboys. This stat, I, I, I did some stat searching. I told you Tony G does his homework. I, I, I don't know. You can applaud if you want at home listening, but I do my homework. Anyways... I found out that the Dallas Cowboys are not blitzing very often. Only 16% of the time. Wow. And they are still, yet still, in the top half of the league in quarterback hurry stats. That's pressures, that's sacks, etc. You know, knockdowns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They're still in the top half of the league, even though they don't blitz. So what does this tell me? They have a good pass rush, yes. And their secondary is the one that's struggling. Their secondary is the one that's getting beat. And it's a team that really has to figure it out because that division is up for grabs, okay? The Philadelphia Eagles lead that division at 1-2-1. One, and one. Yeah, that, that, lead, that division is wide open. So the Dallas Cowboys take the four spot. Going down the list here, middle of the pack in this bottom five, the Falcons, who sit at 0-4, who lost last night 
in Monday Night Football to the Green Bay Packers on the road. And I have this one thought on the Atlanta Falcons play, and it is this. Who is calling their plays for them offensively? They have absolutely no identity. And here's my argument. Matt Ryan is fourth in the NFL with just over 1,200 yards, yet they're still 4-0. I get that Julio Jones is not 100%. Yes, when they don't have any offensive identity. They pass more than run, even though they have Todd Gurley, who has struggled in, in recent years. But what I mean by this is situationally, they're inconsistent and lost. Watching the Atlanta Falcons offense, it, it, it hurts to watch as a fan mm-hmm. of football because situationally, it's just stupid. It's stupid play calling. They get themselves into unnecessarily long third down situations. And last night, they, they converted quite a bit because the Packers, I think, have a problem on third down. But nonetheless, it is an offense that gets themselves into situations that they now have to work out of. And they didn't do it in the first two weeks when they blew the lead to Dallas and they blew the lead to to Chicago. And we're going to be talking about that uh, pretty soon here in the next segment when we talk about Dan Quinn and, and his hot seat situation, if you will, over in Atlanta. But to stay on this topic of the Atlanta Falcons being one of the worst teams in the league, situationally, they have to figure out who they are, what works for them, in what situations. When they do get backed up in a third and long spot where they're Backs are kind of against the wall. What do they do that gets them out of it? You have to figure out what works with you and go yeah. for it. And they're just lost right now. They look they look like they're doing one of two, these both of these things. I feel like they're underutilizing Todd Gurley. They yeah. definitely could use him a lot more. I think. I mean, he's he struggled be, in recent years, but he who's who's to blame for that? Right. I think I think Gurley is a good back. He he would flourish on most teams in the league. Um, and then I feel like they're putting a lot of big plays in. Matt Ryan's hands, which I don't think he can make anymore. Yeah. He's making very, like, just duck throws, just completely underthrowing receivers Wobbly, and, and yeah. putting, putting you know, third and, 15, third and 15 plays and making him throw a contested catch downfield isn't going to win them games. No. It, it could win a few games, but it's not going to be, like, a consistent method for winning games. That's what loses you leads. That's mm-hmm. how you blow leads. Right, exactly. And, I mean, the inconsistencies that Atlanta deals with, to me is a sign that they are lost. Moving on down the league, the second worst team that I have on this list is the Denver Broncos. Let me get started. I get that they're a mess at quarterback. Drew Locke injured. Jeff Driscoll injured. Now relying on Brett Ripon. Okay, yeah, Yikes. they're dealing with injuries, but it's more than that. They led the league in penalties for the first four weeks, as well as yardage committed by the team with 35 penalties and 315 yards given up. Leads the league in both categories. Teams that aren't clean aren't powerful. And teams that aren't powerful don't win. Okay, Denver is not clean, nor are they powerful. They aren't good at much, to be honest with you. I, I look up some of the stats from Denver, and I'm unimpressed at everything I see. It's to me that they have to be clean. They have to play together. They have to play to win. They have to clean up what they're doing. You talk about inconsistencies. That's the biggest trend throughout all of these bottom five teams, that they're all inconsistent in what they do. To wrap up these bottom five teams in the league here, the worst team in the National Football League, by far and away, is the 0-4 New York Jets. Do you have any you have any re- refute to that? No. No, there is none. I don't think anyone can make that. It's just messy football all around. They lead the league in missed tackles with 53. 
Uh, they're fourth in the NFL in penalty yardage, committed at 272 yards. They're tied for last in the NFL with just over 1,100 yards of total offense. Sam Donald, their quarterback, is completing only 59.4% of his passes, okay? Remember that number, 59.4%. That's 30th out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks and only 0.1% better than the recently benched Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago, who is at 59.3%. I'm just saying. Yeah, and I don't know if Darnold's totally to blame. The Jets are definitely a mess. I'd agree with that. I'd agree. It's not necessarily a Sam Darnold problem. I don't think it ever really has been the fact that they've struggled. I think it's an Adam Gase problem. Mm -hmm. That's a man that needs to be fired. We're going to talk about that in the next segment, so I won't get too much into it. But what's the trend here? What have I said about the last four teams here, the the first four out of the bottom five? Inconsistencies. You have to work around your franchise quarterback. You can't just throw him out there and expect him to win, compete, and you have to set him up for success. Mm -hmm. You have to put tools around him. You have to give him the opportunity to develop and grow as a quarterback. You watch a Jets football game, Sam Darnold's getting blitzed out of the pocket pretty much every play. He's getting hit. He's getting knocked down. And to me, it's not a Sam Darnold problem. Like I said, it's an Adam Gase problem and and ultimately a Jets problem. Yeah, I mean, I saw one of the craziest quarterback touchdown runs from Samuel Darnold this year so far. I'm calling it, if not one of the best, the best run. Some of the the things that Darnold does that's wild. Have you seen some of the highlights from the throws he's had to make this year? Running the the wrong way in terms of uh, running to his weak side and throwing off balance and hitting a wide receiver 30, 40 yards downfield. Sam Darnold is talented. He's just not set up for success. Bottom five teams in the league, Vikings, Cowboys, Falcons, Denver, and then the New York Jets. All right, all of them stink. All of them have a lot to work on in terms of moving forward. Talking about moving forward, Will, what do you say? Second segment coming up, Tony G Show. Thanks, Tony G Nation, for coming back around, listening to season five. Good to be back. Segment number two, I I don't usually give segments name, but this one I called Snowball Effect. The next head coach to go in the NFL after... Houston recently fired Bill O'Brien after 0-4 year, which, I mean, that, that's a much overdue firing. Okay, I mean, that, that firing couldn't have – that should have came in the offseason of last year. I mean, it, that guy needed to go so bad. He's doing a disservice to the city of Houston by getting Deshaun Watson in his golden years, his prime years, and wasting it. I mean, yeah, they made the playoffs last year. Didn't do much there. To me, Bill O'Brien needed to go. Anyways, after that – Who is the next NFL head coach to go? I'm going to argue it's Atlanta's Dan Quinn. Now listen, before I get into this argument, before I get into this argument, well, I honestly, when I started writing the second segment, I wanted an argument for Dan Quinn. I wanted to find numbers that that were able to tell you he shouldn't lose his job. You wanted to find some naysayers to the fact that he should stay? Well, here's the thing. I wanted to, you know, I'm still in college, still developing my media skill set, mm-hmm. and I wanted to challenge myself and, and find an argument to keep Dan Quinn as a head coach in Atlanta. Will McCormick, I didn't do it. I can't, I can't come up with it. He's got to be the next head coach to go. I found out that heading into this season, the 2020 season, Dan Quinn's fan approval rating was only 51.79%. Yikes. Just over 50% fan approval rating. And only decreasing after the 0-4 start. That was at the start of the year. Now he's lost four games to start the season. Two yeah. of them he had a massive lead in that he couldn't hold. 
So I can only imagine when that approval rating is at right now. I'm surprised he was even at 51%. Yeah, that's that's pretty high considering. Well, he started one and seven last year. Yeah. What saved him was the six and two finish. Yeah, sure. Finished seven and nine, but you start one and seven. How do you do that? Yeah. Allowing him to retain his job came from him winning the six of two, winning six of the last eight games to end out the season. I tell you, I do my homework. The whole show, I've, I've been doing my homework. I found this out as well, that sports media down in Atlanta is also starting to jump ship on Dan Quinn. Just this morning, Hugh Douglas of 92.9, the game, the sports radio station in Atlanta said, I would be hard-pressed to sit here and lie to anybody that's a Falcons fan and let them think for even a minute that this season is salvageable. And I think wow, he's got a that's, good point. That's, that's very powerful. Blunt. Bill O'Brien was fired after the 0-4 start. And after he was fired, he gave a press conference. And what that shows me, what I read from that, is that he knew it was coming. And if he knew it was coming that much and was prepared to give a press conference after getting fired, the team must have known about it too. So that can't be fun for the players either to engage in a head coach that could at any minute be gone. And then that puts some pressure on you, right, that that if we don't start to win, his loss could come off of my drop touchdown or it could come off of my missed block or it could come off of my missed tackle so that puts pressure on the players more than you would think and I see that same situation starting to develop in Atlanta with Dan Quinn well, I mean Atlanta's defense is just it's just abysmal it's it's middle of the pack it's to, to low of the pack well what, Dan Quinn why, is a defensive minded coach too right he was the the uh coordinator the defensive coordinator in Seattle during the Legion of Boom years then came over to Atlanta they lost the Super Bowl, and here we sit mm-hmm. at 0-4 in the 2020 season. Yeah, I think the whole team kind of sees Dan Quinn facing the exit sign on the, on the door in Atlanta. So I think he's the next to go. I think there are also other head coaches ready to go. I told you Adam Gase should be out the door. They're 0-4. At the start of the year, his fan approval rating, I did my homework. At the start of the year, Adam Gase's fan approval rating, 26%. Lowest, dead last in the NFL That's at the bad. start of the season, before they started 0-4. So it's only fallen from there. I also see Matt Patricia kind of on his way out mm-hmm. in uh, Detroit after 10-25-1. That's his record. Okay, He, shockingly coming into this year, 49% fan approval rating. A little higher than what I would expect. Below average play, below average coaching, I think, on his part. I don't like Matt Patricia at all. I liked him as a defensive coordinator. In New England, I think he did a great job. I think he has great schemes and and calls plays very effectively. But in Detroit, I just don't like him as the head of that program. I was about to say, I like like, uh, Matt Patricia way more than the next guy you're going to talk about. But I just, I feel Matt Patricia's had, like the last couple seasons, has just been very underwhelming. ESPN's Dan Orlovsky, former quarterback in Detroit, talked about the culture of the team. And after Jim Caldwell departed, and left that organization, the culture that Jim Caldwell brought was much more healthier than Matt Patricia brought. And I see this point very well. Again, this is Dan Orlovsky's argument, so I'm not going to get too far into it. The point is that Dan Orlovsky talked about how Jim Caldwell had a better culture and how Matt Patricia came in and talked about how he had to field not the most talented organization, not the the best organization, not the the primed-for-success organization. Personally, this is a personal one of mine. You said the next guy I was going to talk about, it's Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. I think he should be out. I think that he has this old-school style play. I think it's a little bit out of date. But I've talked to Vikings fans who think the exact opposite. They like what he's doing. And uh, interestingly enough, a 94% uh, 
approval rating from Vikings fans. Which is, that just blows my mind. I think he should be gone. I think he should be gone, but fans don't. Okay, fair enough. I think if they really nail this next draft class, I mean, with guys like Justin Jefferson now, uh, a, a healthy Dalvin Cook, and you get a better quarterback in there, let's be honest, I think if you get a also offensive-minded coach in there, I think that you could benefit greatly and make a run for the division. One trend that I want to point out, though, before we wrap up this argument, Dan Quinn, defensive-minded coach. Uh, Matt Patricia, defensive-minded coach. Mike Zimmer, defensive-minded coach. All defensive coordinators, Adam Gates, the exception here, is that these defensive coordinators, I think, are on the out in the NFL in terms of trends over the last couple years. I think if you have the right offense, you have the right offensive coordinator, you go get your offensive scheme together and get a, a good, solid defensive coordinator with some defensive talent, that is a winning recipe. I don't buy mm-hmm. in the defensive coordinators becoming head coaches of programs. Yeah, I don't either. And uh, who's uh, who's Denver's coach? Vic Fangio. Um, he's a defensive, defensive coordinator, coordinator, and look where they are right now. Um, that's a very good point. That's interesting. We'll have to see how that plays out because it seems like you look at offensive minds like Matt LaFleur and uh, Kyle Shanahan, and yeah. they're, they're just totally revolutionizing how the game works right now. And it just seems like defense, it's like there's only so much you can really do to revolutionize a game, at least that you know we can understand right now. Maybe they'll, they'll come along the Kyle Shanahan of oh, defenses. Sure. Yeah. That'll happen at some point. Um, but right now it just seems like the offensive-minded coaches are just really dominant. Yep. Adam Gase, a former offensive coordinator in Chicago and Denver for many years uh, before becoming the head coach in Miami and now New York. Let's wrap up episode one of season five here with a little interesting story that I I came across the other day. There's no argument here. It's just pointing out what I found in this interesting, interesting story. All right. And this this is via ESPN. This is their story. There was a Spanish tennis player, Gerard Joseph Platero Rodriguez, suspended four years and fined $15,000 after being convicted of court siding. What is court siding, you ask, Will? Ask me. Uh, what's court siding? Court is, by definition, the transmission of information from a sports event, especially a tennis match, for the purpose of obtaining a betting advantage. Did you catch all that? Yeah, I think so. No, no, I, no, I saw it. It went right through that ear and went out to the wall on the other end. What that means is that he acted as a court sider, which is he sat courtside at a tennis event and somehow transmitted the information from the event immediately after it occurred to an outside third-party source for a betting advantage on his part Mm. okay he is the first player to ever be charged with this offense by the way but it made me think a little bit here because if he's committing this what else is he doing look into it this is also espn per espn Rodriguez was also found to have placed 75 online bets on tennis matches during June of 2019. And the integrity unit, which is, let me find it here, the tennis integrity unit, who is the integrity unit, the the one that watches betting and makes sure everyone is fair and clean, they said that he failed to engage or provide any form of cooperation during its investigation. So not only is he courtsiding, not only is he placing legal online bets, he is also not cooperating with the organization who polices this type of activity. So not a great sign for him. Or, no, or just I mean, in general, as a, just person, not as, as a general person, what are you doing? Right. Anyways, he's going to have plenty of time to sit back and 
place all the bets he wants, place all the poker, whatever he's got to do. It also got me thinking. Can I say $15,000 is like way too low? I know. He's right? made like, he's probably like, I mean. Well, it's a different, I think it's a different currency. He's a Spanish tennis player, so maybe okay. it's a lot more. He's made a lot of money off of betting. I would, if I'm a betting man, pun intended. I know. I get what you're saying because the penalties aren't really consistent with each other. Four years. Mm-hmm. That is that is a high school career. That is a college career, an undergraduate college career. And, I mean, four years compared to $15,000. Yeah. You'd think it'd be a little more e- even than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it brought up memories of the last professional athlete to get caught cheating. No, not Pete Rose. I'm talking about former Arizona Cardinal cornerback Josh Shaw, who was suspended for betting on games. Okay, he was... And he could reply for reinstatement in February. He did, and he is currently a free agent. But, I mean, how much, how regularized has sports betting become in our culture now? That our players are starting to do it yeah, more I often. Mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's it's an overwhelming problem. I'm not saying, you know, that it's something that needs to be looked at. I'm just saying that it's becoming a little bit more regularized to the point that a football player has committed it. Now a tennis player has done it on a broad on a broader very, spectrum very I mean, large scale four years for court siding that's a lot of matches that's a ton and that just makes you wonder like how is this going to play into the future like are we going to see more of this like how is there has there been a lot of this going on that we don't even know about like right. i wonder what our friend matthew weaver would have to say this big big yeah, tennis fan matthew yeah weaver. i wonder if he knows who he is because gerard gerard platero rodriguez is not the most known player i'll have i'll ask him about it when i see yeah. him later give him today. an ask yeah. And see what he says about it. I just I wanted to bring up that interesting story, talk about it here on the Tony G Show, because I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. I thought it was peculiar. It's something I've never heard of before, and I just wanted to generally discuss it with you, my friend Will. Yeah. And uh, as well as with Tony G Nation. If you have any comments, if you have any put-downs, hit up Will at <laughs> Will McCormick 5312. At Will is 5312. And if you have any general comments, any any positive remarks, hit up. At Tony G for days on Twitter. Any final remarks here before we sign off? No, I, I guess it just feels good to be to be back, and yeah, hopefully we'll have a hundred episodes before the uh, before the year ends. Yep, we are at number so. seventy three now, seventy four on Thursday. Our episodes come out Tuesday and Thursday, um, twice a week for about the next couple of weeks or so. Um, thank you, Tony G Nation. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, for sticking with me through the whole coronavirus thing for being there when we ended the season and sticking with us when there was no episodes, no sight of any return of the Tony G show to Apple podcast. Here we are. It's October. We're back and we're ready to get after it. I can't wait to see what this year brings. Well, yeah, I'm excited too. It'll be, you know, we've got plenty of sports stuff to talk about now there's a lot going on. There's There's a lot. lot. Um, We'll see you Thursday. This is the Tony G show signing off my friend, Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. We'll see you next time right here on the Tony G Show.